While the Nationals may be in Philadelphia, heading to Walters is still a great idea. The Tokyo Olympics finally here, and Walters is a great spot to catch all the action, whether you're into gymnastics, swimming, or track and field. Walters has enough TVs to watch everything and anything your heart desires. This year, surfing, skateboarding, softball, and sport climbing have been added to the exhibition events taking place, so make sure you look out for those competitions as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Steven will have surgery tomorrow. Um, He has a uh, neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. So it's a nerve and... uh, uh, he opted to have the surgery and hopefully correct, you know, correct this and, and have the procedure. And hopefully um, he comes back and he's, he's ready to go next year. 3-1, swung on, line to deep right. Harper back looking up. This is going, going, and it's gone. Goodbye. An opposite field laser beam line drive. Three-run home run for Josh Bell on the 3-1 pitch from Matt Moore. Swung on, hit high in the air to left field and deep, way back. Going, going, and long gone, goodbye. An opposite field, three-run home run for Juan Soto. And that one got out in a big-time hurry. It's the Nationals' six and the Phillies' one. Hand to the belt, the kick, and the one-two pitch. Slider in there, strike three called, and the game is over. A curly W's in the books. Brad Hand bounces back, gets the save tonight, his 21st of the year, and the Nationals off the bat from some excruciatingly tough defeats. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, July 28, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Even when the Nationals win right now, the win is still so far from the headline topic, and That sadly ends up being the case with what transpires with the Nationals on Tuesday. We will get to the win, the 6-4 victory at the Philadelphia Phillies on Tuesday night in Game 2 of a four-game series. The five-game losing streak is over for whatever that's worth these days with the Nationals on the verge of selling and apparently selling hard. We will get to Trey Turner and him testing positive for COVID-19 and being yanked from the game mid-game. But we have to begin with what was horrible news on Tuesday and in so many ways, sad news on Tuesday. Steven Strasburg's season is over. And it's not just over because he's been shut down or anything like that. Steven Strasburg on Wednesday is to undergo season-ending surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, TOS. 
For those of you who are hardcore baseball fans, which I know is many of you, TOS has become essentially a four-letter word in baseball for pitchers. TOS is what Tommy John was, say, 25, 30 years ago from a standpoint of you run and hide when you get diagnosed with TOS. It is something that wrecks careers. Matt Harvey had TOS. It's never been the same since having that. And now Steven Strasburg is set to have that. We had wondered for months what truly was at the root of the Steven Strasburg health issues, that he gets diagnosed with needing surgery to address TOS is really bad news. You feel for the guy, and you have to wonder about his future as a major league pitcher. What will Steven Strasburg's career be like moving forward? Mark, I hate it that we always have to start with gloom and doom topics, but this clearly is the A topic, and it's not a good one. No, and you're right. This is the number one topic today, Al, because this isn't just how it affects the Nationals right now, but how it affects them down the road. And to be honest, it could impact the way that Mike Rizzo and Mark Lerner make decisions here this week as they try to figure out, you know, we've, we've been talking about the, well, okay, they're selling, but are they still trying to win in 2022 or not? And, you know, where would they spend the money that they have? And are they trying to build a top-notch rotation again? And how much of that is Strasburg and Corbin? How much are they a part of it? Well, look, I know they're saying for now that they are hoping that he's back next season and that, you know, it's a return to normal, but they have to deep down understand that there's a very good chance that does not happen. Even if he has a full recovery from this, it may be well into next season before he's even trying to pitch. And even then, we don't know really what kind of effectiveness he's going to have. Now, the list of pitchers who've had this is pretty short. And it's not great. Some of the prominent names are Matt Harvey, like you said, Josh Beckett, Phil Hughes, Chris Young, Chris Carpenter, Alex Cobb, Vince Velasquez, Tyson Ross, who's Joe Ross's older brother. Now, in pretty much all of those cases, the pitchers did come back and pitch in the big leagues again. Most cases, they do come back and pitch. But the notable thing is that in almost every case, they don't come back as the same pitcher. This is not like Tommy John, where that new elbow you can kind of almost in some ways even throw harder than you did before. And that can sustain a whole nother career after that. So, you know, it's impossible to know for sure what the rest of Steven Strasburg's career holds. But if you were to ask any big league pitcher right now, what is the last injury you want to have? What is the last surgery you want to have? This is it now. This is worse than any of the other stuff that they can go through. And you just hope that we do get to see him again and that he does get to have some success on the mound. Because if he doesn't, What a tragic ending to the first portion of his career that had so many highs for them and obviously some lows as well, but so many highs culminating with the World Series and his MVP award. It really is a doomsday scenario, and it's not going to get the attention it deserves, I feel like, this week because so much of the conversation with the Nationals is about the trade deadline and who's going to go and, you know, all these things that have been swirling with the Nats over the last few days. But, like, this really is a monumental occurrence. The Steven Strasburg we have come to know is almost certainly going to be no more. And if we see Steven Strasburg be an effective major league pitcher moving forward, it's going to be in a much different way. And There are, I think, two very different but very permissible, acceptable, understandable reactions if you're a Nationals fan to all of this. Number one is you do feel for the guy. I mean, look, Steven Strasburg is not the warmest of Nationals players, but he is, I think, at the end of the day, a good guy. He's been a very good pitcher for the Nationals. He is obviously an all-time postseason legend with what he did in the 2019 postseason and also in like the 2017 postseason as well. 
And he's a human being. And you hate to see someone have to go through something like this where their career is almost certainly going to be forever altered. So there's like the human aspect of this, you know, the sympathy, the empathy. But there's also the baseball aspect of this. And that is a situation that was already frightening. This Strasburg 70-year, $245 million contract is now certifiably a disaster, a calamity in a baseball sense. This is, at this point, the worst contract situation in Major League Baseball and maybe in all of pro sports. You know, we've talked about this. Like, everyone talks about Chris Davis. Chris Davis was seven for 161, and that's over at the end of next season. Strasburg is seven for 245. Chris Davis, at least over the first two years with the Orioles, was okay. I mean, it wasn't good, but it was okay. Strasburg has made seven starts over two regular seasons, and we still have five years to go with this contract. This is like a nightmare. I mean, if you're the learners, you couldn't have scripted this any worse in so many ways. And now you're staring at something where you have to say, first of all, when is he going to pitch again? Like you said, it it may be deep in the next season. It may not be till 2023. And to what extent is he going to be a shell of the guy we came to know? Like, if you're the Nationals, that's got to be running through your mind right now. No, it absolutely is. And that, I think, has to help frame their decisions that they're making this week. If there was thought that, okay, we can still compete in 2022, and we're going to do that behind our rotation and our star players, and maybe that even involves keeping Max Scherzer or re-signing Max Scherzer over the offseason, maybe bolstering the roster in some other ways, you have to rethink that right now. We've said almost pretty much every year since he's been around, if Steven Strasburg gets hurt, we say, it's hard to envision a scenario with the Nationals winning that doesn't include Steven Strasburg. That's just the way they've been built for a long time. And once again, it's very hard to envision a scenario with the Nationals winning in 2022 with Steven Strasburg not being a part of it. Where else are they going to get someone to perform the way that they would expect him to perform if healthy? It's really tough. And then when you throw on top of that the idea that Max Scherzer is completely uncertain whether he's a member of the Nationals next year, let alone next week, Patrick Corbin, who's also under contract and has been one of the worst pitchers in baseball the last two seasons, despite being healthy. So where do you go from here? And how does that shape what you're going to do from a baseball standpoint? I think these are some really big questions that all of a sudden they are facing here in the next few days, because I do think it impacts how they approach all this. But on a human level, like you were saying, I heard from a lot of people after this who take the approach of, oh, God, what is it with him now? And oh, he's so weak. And what a cashed in all his money. And he's not tough enough to try to pitch through all this. Like, hang on a second here, folks. There is no way he ever wanted to go through all this. Never. And I think we have to acknowledge that he's probably been dealing with something for quite a while. I know they're saying that last year's surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome is not related. The symptoms for thoracic outlet syndrome are pretty similar to the symptoms of carpal tunnel syndrome. Numbness, tingling in your hands, and he had that. And then go back to 2018 when he had a nerve issue in his neck that knocked him out for a couple months. And he came back from that, and he pitched great in 2019. But I just can't help but think that this has been going on since then to some extent, and this was the culmination of it all. And he is a human being. And listen to what Eric Fetty said about him after the game on Tuesday. He's a close friend of his, been with him for several years. He knows how much this is eating him up. I mean, I sat next to him on the bench for the last couple months and, you know, talked to him every day. And I hear it in his voice that, you know, we talk about like other guys pitching and he's like, man, I would do anything to be back out there. So hopefully this just finally cleans up the issue and, uh, 
and get them back out there. I know this is asking to look into a crystal ball, but I was thinking about the Strasburg situation. Do you think this could play out in a Prince Fielder-like way, where Fielder signed a contract that ended up being a debacle, got hurt, ended up retiring? I mean, Strasburg has five years left on the deal. Do you think his career goes another five years? Do you think he could end up retiring because of all this? It's so soon to really know, to have a sense of that, Al. You know, I think he gets the surgery. I think he goes to the rehab. I'm sure he's going to talk to guys like Matt Harvey and others. And, and look, again, most pitchers do come back from this. It's just a matter of do they come back and, and still be effective pitchers. And a lot of them have not been able to do that. So I don't think the little bit that I know him, it's tough to really get to know the guy even after covering him for a decade. I don't think he's the type who just wants to walk away like this and think that this is somehow going to be the defining characteristic of his career. I think he's going to want to work his way back. Now, as he tries to do it, maybe along the way, he realizes this is not going to happen, but that's a long way off until that is the case. One other thing that I'll point out here, and I, I don't know the answer to this yet because I just there was so much going on during the course of the day and night that I didn't have a chance to look into it. But most mega contracts like that include some kind of insurance provision in them. And if a player suffers a career-ending injury often a large chunk of it is covered by insurance and the team is not responsible for it. I first encountered one of these when I first started covering baseball in 2001 covering the Orioles. Albert Bell was forced into retirement in spring training because of a degenerative hip condition. He still had several years left on his pretty big contract with them. And because he had insurance on that contract, because the Orioles had insurance on it, they were not responsible for something like 60% of the remainder of the deal. So I don't know the details of Strasburg's deal, but it's fairly standard for that to be part of these kind of contracts. So we're looking way ahead here, and so much has to happen between now and then. But if it ever got to a point that he had to end his career as a result of this injury, it's possible the Nationals would not be on the hook for all of the money. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about that because the Washington football team had insurance on the Alex Smith contract and was actually able to get some money back in that way. And I think it would matter from a baseball standpoint because these big money deals that don't work out, they hinder teams not because there's a salary cap in baseball, but because your budget gets eaten up by a contract that's doing nothing for you. So if all of a sudden now your budget isn't being taken over by this contract, or at least the burden of the contract is lessened, then maybe that might compel the learners to spend money on starting pitching as opposed to saying, well, we can't because we're, you know, we got all this money invested in Strasbourg. So we'll see. Just an awful situation. You know, it was a bad situation that now is like 10 times worse in a season that just refuses to give us good news. It continues to be one bad thing after another. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself 
on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I found out uh, right after he, he had scored, we pulled him, I had a protocol, I have to pull him right out of the game. So, uh, you know, he goes in and do the protocol. He's got, he's got to go get isolated right away and uh and now he'll get tested and then from there we'll see what happens trey turner was the national starting shortstop at number two batter he had a one-out infield single in the nationals three-run first inning then got pulled from the game in the bottom of the first inning now of course this set social media on fire because he didn't suffer an apparent injury you know people were kind of looking at well did he get hurt here did something happen there and then it's like well they must have pulled him because they're about to trade him And then we get the announcement that he's been pulled because he tested positive for COVID-19. Now, of course, that begs the question of, don't they get the test results back before the starts of these games? Apparently not. Davey Martinez, during his postgame presser, reveals that he found out about Trey having tested positive right after Josh Bell homered. Bell with a one-out three-run shot with runners at the corners in the top of the first inning. So now we have yet another COVID-19 situation for the Nationals in this 2021 season. I mean, you you could not, no Hollywood writer would come up with that one, you know? 
I mean, really, who would throw that wrench into everything <laughs> as a plot twist on a season that has had so many of them already? And like you and like everyone else, I went through the same emotions as soon as he came out of the game thinking, oh, what happened here? Did he just get traded? I start texting some people. I, I kind of got sense. No, didn't sound like anybody knew about a trade having gone down. So then you start watching the replays and say, well, sliding into third, he got up and he was kind of huffing and puffing a lot and maybe didn't quite feel right. And then, you know, he, he sort of just really didn't even jog all the way to home plate, almost like walked to home plate on the home run, didn't stick around to high five. Everyone just sort of walked back to the dugout and you're thinking, man, maybe he really wasn't feeling something. Doesn't appear that any of that happened. According to Davey, he never felt anything wrong, and it was simply a case of as soon as he got back in the dugout, Davey had to immediately tell him, we just got back a positive test for you. You need to go isolate right now. And to your question about the timing of it, the way that this has seemed to go, all, all the indications I've gotten the last two seasons while they've been doing this, is they take the test one morning, and typically the results are about 36 hours. So it's the next late afternoon or early evening. Typically, they would get that before a game starts, but sometimes it does creep into game time if it's running a little later, whatever. Or, you know, I don't know details in this case, but sometimes you get a positive test. They may need to recheck it just to confirm it, something like that. So he's not the first guy this has happened to, unfortunately. There have been others with other teams that we've seen get pulled out of game. Obviously, Justin Turner is the most famous one during the clinching game of the World Series late in that game. So as annoying as that is, this isn't totally unusual for it to happen in that way. But now they wait and see what happens from this. You know, officially he wasn't on the COVID IL yet. Just the protocol said he had to remove from the game, but obviously he's going to have to be in quarantine for some period of time until he starts testing negative. And so many ramifications from this, because again, a player whose name has been coming up all of a sudden on trade rumors. And is that still possible? Is it now mean that he's with them for the rest of the year and beyond? And I don't know the answer to that as we sit here recording this late on Tuesday night. It's incredible when you think about the prominent free agents to be for the Nationals and the obvious guys who should be traded away come Friday. Kyle Schwarber got hurt. Jan Gomes got hurt. Brad Hand blew back-to-back saves. Daniel Hudson was on the injured list for a while. Max Scherzer got scratched from his most recent start. And now Trey Turner gets COVID-19. I mean, again, the Murphy's Law of this 2021 National season Even when things have gone wrong and you say, all right, now we have to get rid of these guys because things have gone wrong. Things go wrong with the going wrong in that trying to get rid of these guys, trying to trade away these guys, all these things pop up with these guys. I mean, it's just it's incredible what has taken place here. Uh, For those wondering if Trey Turner has been vaccinated for COVID-19, look, I I don't want to do a whole vac shaming thing here. All right. There's enough of that going on right now. I did get a kick, though, out of out of how Davey Martinez handled this in the post-game presser. So Davey would not say whether Trey Turner had been vaccinated for COVID-19. And know what? It's none of our business whether he has been. But Davey did make it clear that vaccinated players are not being tested for COVID-19 right now. So Davey wouldn't say whether Trey Turner had been vaccinated, but of course ended up telling us that Trey Turner has not been vaccinated for COVID-19. For the vaccinated people, we don't get we don't get tested just due to protocol. So, you know, we just, like I said, this is something that honestly, just, it hit us by surprise. As far as we can tell, yeah, that's the interpretation. And I thought it was striking when you consider Eric Fetty, who got COVID-19 a couple months ago, and it was first, it was Max Scherzer who revealed it, but the team wasn't hiding that fact that he was vaccinated and still got it. I think they kind of wanted that message actually out there in part because they didn't 
think that players who were vaccinated and tested positive should still have to go through all the protocols that Fetty did. Remember, he missed almost a month as a result of it. So the way they publicly handled that one versus the way they're handling this one, there is a difference there. And we'll leave it up to everyone to interpret how you want with that. It's unfortunate. And we've kind of come become cynical about athletes testing positive for these things, you know, because in the vast majority of cases, they don't ever even have symptoms or uh, even if they do, it's mild and they're back within a few days. But but let's hope he's all right, first and foremost. Nobody wants him to actually get sick. He has a newborn at home. We don't want any of that. But whenever he is cleared to come back, there are a lot of questions for Trey Turner that I and I think everyone else on the beat board like to ask him. And it's up to him if he wishes to answer those and, and explain how he got into this situation. I guess we also have to leave open the possibility that it's a false positive because he gets retested, right? Once he gets pulled from the game to make sure this is not, say, a, a Juan Soto situation. Sure. Yeah. No, that is absolutely part of it as well. And and I mean, there's a lot we don't know. We're, we're inferring a lot here. And, you know, we've learned a lot in the last year to see, you know, it gives us like a, a sense of here's how things probably went down. But as we've seen, it's not always what it seems. So, you know, let's not jump to every conclusion here yet. We will should know a lot more in the next 24 hours. And I hope that Trey, who is a stand-up guy and has always been, you know, he's a leader on the team. He is one of those, back when we used to be allowed to be in the clubhouse, one of the guys who would always be there ready to talk to us and not just wait for us to track him down. Like he understood that as a part of his job in good times and bad. So I do hope that he does stand up and, and speak about this and answer questions and just explain, because I think everyone would like to know what he felt through all this, what he thought as he crossed the plate and goes back to the dugout and learns this, and what, if anything, maybe led to it happening to him. All right, one more thing, and then we can actually talk about the game. Uh, Victor Robles got hurt in the game while batting in the top of the ninth inning, ended up leaving the game. Did you get any update on him after the game? Yeah, lower back tightness, and you could see on that swing, he didn't seem to like how it felt. And Davey said it just wasn't worth taking any chance on. So they pulled him. And I mean, you know, again, we'll see where it is with him. Maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe he is out for some length of time. But it left me thinking this at the end of the night. If you're Mike Rizzo, you've got a plan for all kinds of contingencies right now for the rest of this week. You've got to have players ready to go to step in in case of trades. Like you got to be able to field a 26-man roster every night. Now, on top of that, you've got to account for a shortstop who is on the COVID IL or should be going on COVID IL shortly, a center fielder who may be banged up and not be able to play. Like how many extra players do they need to have ready to go on a moment's notice right now? It could be like the entire Rochester roster has to be there and ready to serve at a moment's notice if they're needed. Yeah, uh, it very much could be that way. We'll see here. We know the word is that Luis Garcia is coming back to the major league level uh, to take the spot that will be vacated by Trey Turner once he goes on the COVID-19 IL. And who knows what's coming here? I mean, the, the trade winds continue to swirl on Tuesday. There was still so much more out there regarding the Nationals. Uh, apparently, Kyle Schwarber, there is interest in him, even though he's been out with injury. There continues to be a ton regarding Max Scherzer, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic saying that teams pursuing Scherzer believe Nats want to act within next 48 hours. So, you know, by the time we next do this show, we could already have deals having been made with this team. So there's just so much going on with the Nats right now, including, of course, a season that still has two plus months left. I mean, it'd be one thing if we were in the middle of September. We're in late July. The season doesn't end until early October. We still got about, what, 60 games, give or take, to go in this season. <laughs> 
Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big-league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit BigTrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. Here's the wind and the 1-2. Swinging a hard ground ball up the middle. Diving stop, Harrison from his knees. He throws him out at first, and Segura running through the bag doffs his helmet in Harrison's direction. What a play by Josh Harrison. And so the Nationals are playing games, and the Nationals won a game on Tuesday night. 6-4 was the final at the Phillies. It was a typical Nationals game in so many ways. The Nationals did all of their scoring early in the game. All six runs scored over the first two innings. That's finished the game with just eight hits and two walks. The offense was just like silenced as the game went on, but the offense was quite good over those first two innings, highlighted by two big three-run homers. Juan Soto, a two-out first pitch, three-run homer on a bomb to left center field in the top of the second. The homer going a projected 424 feet for StatCast, his seventh home run in 11 games since the All-Star break. And then Josh Bell delivering a one-out three-run opposite field homer with runners at the corners to right field in the top of the first inning. So Bell in the first, Soto in the second. Nats put up six runs early, and it got dicey as the game went on, but the Nats ultimately end up holding on and snap that five-game losing streak. Well, so those were two big blasts from a couple guys who've been doing a lot of this here lately, and both opposite field. Bell from the right side of the plate again, which has been really nice. Four of his last five homers have come right-handed. That's a great sign, and that's that's the reason he's starting against lefties and not Ryan Zimmerman. Bell is playing basically every day now. You know, Zim was the DH in Baltimore, but essentially Bell is the everyday first baseman right now and has earned it. Uh, and Soto, I mean, yet again, what he's doing, driving the ball the other way, that ball wound up on the concourse after it bounced once. Just a remarkable thing that he has going on. And yet, six runs on seven hits in the first two innings, and then what happened after that? Zero runs on one hit. The rest of the way, the Phillies faced the minimum. The Nats sent the minimum to the plate over the final six innings. One single, one hit by pitch, both wiped out by double plays. And so they found themselves yet again, Al, in the ninth inning, clinging to a two-run lead, the top of the Phillies lineup coming up, and lo and behold, the bullpen door swings open, and guess who comes out seeking his first save in quite a while? Hello, my name is Mr. Hatt. 
Brad Hand was back out there. Never say that Davey Martinez doesn't stick with guys. If Davey likes you, Davey will stick with you. And Davey stuck with Brad Hand. And that faith was rewarded as the bullpen for the first time. It felt like in forever. I don't know if the reality backs this up. But the bullpen actually was quite good ultimately in this game. Now, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always smooth. Kyle Finnegan pitched for what felt like two hours in that bottom of the eighth inning. But ultimately, it was a scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. But four Nats relievers combined for four and a third scoreless innings in hand of having a blown save chance in each of the previous two games. Does get the job done. Scoreless bottom of the ninth, despite facing the Phillies numbers one through four batters. I mean, this was not the bottom of the lineup that Hand was facing. And Hand gets the save despite an atrocious throwing error by Carter Keeboom. We got to talk about Keeboom as well because he was a mess defensively in this game. 0 for 4 with a strikeout at the plate. But Keeboom, just one of the worst throwing errors you'll ever see. 1 2, swinging a ground ball, slowly hit the third baseline. Keeboom has it. Jump throw across is way wide. A bell into foul ground for an error. And Segura goes to second base with nobody out. I can't believe it. A slow ground ball. Segura's not a fast runner. Keeboom could have planted and thrown. Instead, he threw off balance. A sweeping throw that was at least 15 feet to Bell's right and beyond him. He had absolutely no chance to catch this ball. Not all throwing errors are created equal, okay? Sometimes, like, the throw is a bit off. The runner ends up being safe. He gets charged with a throwing error. And then sometimes you throw the ball into, like, the second deck. And that's what this was from Carter Keeboom, a grounder by Gene Segura on a 1-2 pitch to begin the bottom of the ninth. Keeboom throws the ball. I mean, Josh Bell's a big dude. He had no shot at catching that baseball. And this was off multiple defensive screw-ups by Keeboom with D.D. Gregorius batting in the bottom of the eighth inning. Keeboom whiffing on an attempted backhanded catch of a foul ball off the bat of Gregorius with nobody out. And then Keeboom, and this drove you crazy, struggling to get the ball out of his glove. Taylor made double play grounder off the bat of Gregorius, ends up being a force-out grounder that should have resulted in a double play. I mean, everyone knows the deal with Keeboom, right? He may be playing for his major league life as the rest of this season goes on. Not a good showing on Tuesday night. It was not at all. That's three plays that just have to be made and, and plays that are routine plays. Now, the, the pop-up down the line, that was a long run and all that. But my God, I thought it was fair when it landed. I really thought, oh no, they're going to blow the game because of this. Thankfully, it was by one blade of grass, it was foul, thankfully. But the other two plays are just plays that big league infielders have to make. You know, I get it. Every once in a while, something's going to happen. You mess up a play. But it looked to me like a guy who's not comfortable out there, maybe putting pressure on himself in the situation he's in. Let's also point out that he's still 0 for on the season at the plate. Let's see what happens the next few days. But I anticipate we're going to be seeing a lot of Carter Keeboom the rest of this season. And we probably should. It's probably time once and for all for them to decide, is there any hope here anymore or not? Based on what we've seen so far, it's not looking great for him having a future here. But that was bad. All of those were bad. And I mean, you thought, my God, Brad Hand's going to blow the save and it's not even going to be entirely his fault this time because he didn't get any help. Now, thankfully, he did. He got through it. As far as Hand being used in this game, I'm going to throw Davey a bone here because that bullpen is so burned up right now. Daniel Hudson could not pitch. He had gone three in a row. Finnegan wound up pitching for the third game in a row this time. Hand was pitching for the third game in a row. I don't know who else you go to at this point. You're going to trust Austin Voth to close it out? I mean, maybe you say, hey, let's give Finnegan a try, but they needed him earlier. He, he had to pitch the eighth, essentially, in 
uh, in Hudson's role. So I don't know who else they had. And it's just, it's, it's remarkable. Everything else that's happened this week, Al, they've been in position three straight days like this to try to close out a game in the bottom of the ninth. So like in some respects, like in spite of all their issues, they could have be on a three game winning streak right now, if not for a couple blown saves. It's crazy how they keep finding themselves in these spots. You would think there'd be one game along the way where it's a lopsided game and they don't need to use their top relievers, but every single day, this is what they've had to do. So good for Brad for getting through it and getting out of it. And, you know, he needed that one, obviously. Yeah, and the Nats maybe needed that more to help his trade value. I mean, I, I, if you're an opposing general manager, I don't think you should let one game alter how you feel about a guy. Like, you either like Brad Hand or you don't. But that would not have been a great look, blowing saves in three consecutive games leading into the trade deadline. Like, GMs are human beings, and at some point you have to say, well, what do we want to touch this guy for? He's, you know, he's nuclear at this point. Eric Fetty was a national starting pitcher on Tuesday night. Four runs in four and two-thirds innings as he ended up being bad for a fourth time in five starts since coming off the 10-day injured list. He, he has not been the same pitcher since he came off the 10-day IL. The only good outing he had was against the Miami Marlins. Uh, Fetty in this game, eight hits, two homers, three doubles, three singles, four strikeouts versus one walk. He gives up a run in the bottom of the first on the uh, one-out full count RBI double by Bryce Harper. Gives up a run in the bottom of the fourth on two more doubles. Leadoff double by Reese Hoskins. Two-out ribby double by Odubel Herrera. And what killed you about that bottom of the fourth, each guy was down at 1.02. So he had Hoskins down 0-2, gives up the double. Had Herrera down 0-2, gives up the double. And then came the bottom of the fifth inning. Fetty giving up two runs on back-to-back two-out homers, one of which was an inside-the-park solo homer by Bryce Harper, and then a two-out homer by Andrew McCutcheon. I don't know what McCutcheon's numbers against the Nats are. They do seem to be really good, though. It it seems like McCutcheon kills the Nationals. I'll have to look those up. But you had the the inside-the-park homer, and look, let me give Harper credit. He flew around the bases. He, He looked great running around the bases there. And then McCutcheon does the Nats dirty there again. You know, it's funny. It was not long ago yet. Okay, Fetty and Ross, Ross and Fetty. Fetty was trending upwards. Ross was trending downwards. And here we are. And of course, it's the exact opposite now. You know, you feel good about where Ross is at. And Fetty, all of a sudden, is kind of back to where he was going into this season. His calamities have seemed to derail him when he was going so well. And then the COVID test and he comes back from that. And then he has the minor um, oblique injury and just hasn't been quite the same. I thought he was all right for those first four innings, and then he took a comebacker off his leg, that one that kicked to Josh Bell to end the fourth, and it sounds like what they were saying is that that was still kind of bothering him in the fifth, and maybe it screwed him up a little bit. It was mechanics. I'm, I'm not going to use that as a total excuse for his performance, but you know, I think it is something, at least, that may have uh, you know caused him to be a little bit different. You know what Bryce Harper is in, in his career against Eric Fetty? These are old high school teammates, by the way, from Las Vegas. Harper's now nine for 18 with five homers. That is insane. He owns him. He absolutely owns him. Now, this one, I thought, not going to say that Robles should have made the catch, but it was not a great timing effort on his part to leap for the ball. Again, a tough play and all that, but I thought maybe it could have been a little bit better on his part, maybe have a little bit better of a chance. So that one was tough. And now McCutcheon, he absolutely has been a Nats killer for a long time, going all the way back to when he was with the Pirates. I'm looking at his career stats against them right now. His rookie year, 2009, he played four games against the Nats and he hit four homers. Hit 563 with four homers. For his career prior to this game, 313 average, 387 on base, 588 slugging. And this year, again, prior to Tuesday's game, 
was hitting 370 with a 471 on base, a 1322 OPS. And this was his fourth homer against the Nationals in nine games against him this year. So yes, he, as uh, my friend Bill Ladson would refer to guys who would do this against the Nationals like Giancarlo Stanton, he is a living legend as far as the Nationals are concerned. A total Nats killer. He's on the short list among uh, guys over the years who've done it to them. Game three at the Phillies Wednesday night, 7.05. Patrick Corbin versus Zach Wheeler. If the Nats ever needed Corbin to get back to being his 2019 self, now is the time with Steven Strasburg and the terrible news that came down with him on Tuesday. But I don't know how anyone could have any faith at this point with Corbin. So we'll see. Got an ERA of 571. 571 over 19 starts on the season. You can always email the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. With the Nationals uh, set to be sellers come the MLB trade deadline on Friday, we got this email from Chris Therrington regarding something we brought up a few episodes ago, and that is many, maybe even most Nationals fans being astute enough, being sophisticated enough to be understanding and accepting of the Nationals being sellers. You know, this idea of, oh, how dare they sell on Max Scherzer and Daniel Hudson, you know, don't trade Huddy, things like that. Like, no, I think most Nats fans understand that's the way to go for this season. It doesn't mean that the team is going to embark on some five-year rebuild. Uh, Writes Chris, those of us who love baseball knew that this day was coming. It comes for every team. Yankees, 64 to 76, Orioles, 83 to 97, et cetera. I grew up in this area and I was 11 when the old senators left for Texas. It took 34 years for baseball to come back to D.C. And I view this team like I view my marriage. You take the rough with the smooth and you're grateful for what you have. We also got this from Larry Cohen, sort of uh, echoing these sentiments. Uh, Larry's a, a regular listener to the podcast. We appreciate that so much. He says, the Nats have had a tremendous run since 2012, parentheses, I do not count 2020 as ever happening, and are now backing up a bit. I've been a fan of DC baseball since I was six. I'm now almost 67 and thought I would never see a DC baseball team win a World Series. I got that World Series and the Stanley Cup also, and I'm happy with that. It is very difficult in baseball these days to build a dynasty. The Nats have been good for a long time. I will continue to support them and hope there is another World Series down the road. I think there are a lot of fans, like I said, maybe even most fans who understand the ebbs and flows of being a sports franchise. And especially with this team, good for so long, at some point, a step back was going to have to be taken. And I think the hope, and I I think very much the, the possibility here is you can take the step back and then take the step forward sooner rather than later. This doesn't have to be the end. And the Nats now go into the darkness for years to come. Yeah, I, I love the perspective from both of them, and it says so much. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day roller coaster of this team that you do need to remind yourself, hey, take a step back, look at the big picture, consider where this franchise has been, where it has now gotten to, uh, and what has happened. And the key there to me is, yeah, it's really hard to sustain it as long as they did. You know, there was a point there until last year, it was the Nats the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals were the only teams that had winning records every season over what that was, an eight-year stretch, I think it was, of winning records. So that's some elite company to be in. Everybody loses at some point. It's bound to happen, even really successful franchises. The key is, how quickly can you turn it around? And can you avoid the five, six, seven-year down cycle that some have gone through? I've been thinking a lot lately about the Philadelphia Phillies, how they won the title in 2008, they went back to the World Series, 2009. They tried to build the super roster and it didn't work. And by 2012, they were under 500, missing the playoffs, and they still haven't been back since. 
Now, that was an organization that was not managed very well there for a while. They did not have a good farm system, and they locked up a lot of veterans that they were stuck with for a while on some big contracts. That's what you try to avoid. That's why Mike Rizzo, in the next few days, may be making the moves he's going to make that are hard for people to accept, but ultimately that may help them be better sooner and not have to go through one of those very long down cycles. So we'll see how that plays out. But I really like the perspective. And also just say this, and I think it's important we all remember this. Thank God they won the World Series in 19. Can you imagine what the feeling would be like right now if they had not? If after a decade of trying for it and coming so close, you now have to tear it all down and start over, that's the worst kind of rebuild. They at least know that they won it all. Their fans know they got to have that moment and winning it all. To me, that softens the blow a lot for what's about to come. It does. Uh, it frames things in a much different way because, like you said, I mean, the Phillies at least won two pennants. You know, the, I think the Giants fit that profile a bit where the Giants got old and they stuck with guys for too long. But the Giants won three World Series championships. But the Giants also have gotten back to being good again a lot sooner than people thought. Now, that came with a management overhaul. That came with a philosophical overhaul. You know, I don't think the Nationals are going to be doing that. You know, they just resigned Rizzo. They just resigned Davey Martinez. But uh, things can change quickly. Teams can get good again quickly. The Milwaukee Brewers went through this too. You know, the Brewers owner sent a letter to uh, season ticket holders at one point saying, we're going to be bad for a while. We're going into a rebuild. And then they ended up being good a lot sooner than anybody thought. So you just, you, know, you never know with this stuff. So I wouldn't just give up on the Nationals for years to come, but there are some definite things that need to be altered here. The farm system is in bad shape, uh, as we've talked about quite a bit. And now you have a really difficult situation with a top-line pitcher in Steven Strasburg. Keep the feedback coming. You can email us again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us as well, at nats underscore chat. Uh, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider doing so. Subscribing to the pod costs you nothing. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The Willie Mays Most Valuable Player Award presented by Chevrolet goes to Steven Strasburg of the Washington Nationals. Steven had two pivotal victories in the World Series and a great postseason run. Congratulations on it.